Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. If you have missed any of the last uh, few weeks uh, on, the, on the sermons, uh, you, can, you can go back to our Facebook page and you can find them there. You can also go to a uh, web browser, itunes.apple.com, and then search Fellowship Regional Church, and you'll find them there as well. Um, they're all recorded. Uh, and that's important because right now what we're going through is we're going through our mission statement, our we say mission statement, this our armorial achievements, our uh, crest, our family crest, our, our banners. And so that's what we've been going through. We started with the cross, which is the origin of where we come from. This is what we, this is how we get where we are. You don't come into this place unless you come through the cross. You can come into this place, but if you're going to move forward in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it begins at the cross. And so the cross is in the back. And you can see it in the middle. Um, what comes next is Scripture. And the Scripture represents where we learn more about our Savior. The next one is um, the, the meal. So we have the book. We have the meal. The meal represents how we are to interact with one another as Christians. Christians should live differently with one another than we do with other people inside the world. There is a certain level of exclusivity that we really want to have, that this is what it creates. That when we connect with one another and we sup, if we can use an old word, sup with one another, not like sup, but sup, like dinner, eat with others, what we do is we create a sense of exclusivity on how are these people just kind of just functioning and getting through life and doing this kind of deal. You know, it's because we have the cross and we have the book. And then this is the meal. This is how we interact with one another. Communion represents that. Today we are looking at the bow. Now, next week we'll go straight to Easter. And then when we get done, we will come back and we'll address these ugly brass knuckles at the front of the church. Um, so this is, uh, this is where we're at. So if you need to look back on, on any of those, if you missed, you can get on board with where, we're, where we've been, where we're headed. Uh, today's passage, if you look up here, Psalm 78 Four. We're going to start in verse 1. I'd like to read it to you. 78, 1 through 4. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, His wonders, and the wonders He has done. We will not hide these things from our children. We will not hide these things from our children. The writer of this psalm is a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a praise and worship leader in the tabernacle for David. This is kind of, this is kind of interesting because now, I, I know this is not how you typically see praise and worship leaders. If you've been to other churches, praise and worship leaders are typically not um, grisly, strong men. If you go back to the Old Testament, the guy who's leading worship in the tabernacle, his name, check this out. All the, all the like 30-something dudes would be like, oh, wow, really? His name, the praise and worship leader, He-Man. He-Man, the praise and worship leader. Really? He doesn't have a lisp. Um, 
He's not wearing a cardigan, you know. He's He-Man. And then the guy beside him is this guy, Asaph. Asaph is the right-hand man. And they lead worship inside the tabernacle. Now, leading worship inside the tabernacle consists of something a little bit different. There's a storytelling aspect to it. And it's this hearkening back to, you remember when? Do you remember when? And everybody knew their family lineage. They knew where they came from. They knew their own history. Do you remember when our people were stuck in Egypt and the people would just be like, yes, I remember it was terrible. Would we ever want to go back? God forbid, no, we would never want to go back. And Asaph would lead this worship service. His name means the collector, which sounds kind of like a loan shark name, really, you know. What's your name? Asaph the collector. That's what I do. So, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. The gatherer. So what Asaph would do is he would collect these stories and then he would gather the people and then he would say to them things like, okay, scoot in, scoot in, listen, listen to this story. You're going to love this. This is a good story. Listen to this. So the people would scoot further, closer in their chair and Asaph would tell these stories about what God has done. And then he would say things like this and God forbid that we never stop telling these stories to our children. God forbid we never stop telling these stories. We always tell these stories. What he's telling the people here is that very same thing. Don't stop telling those stories. It's kind of interesting, really. He begins, my people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I don't know about you, but when we were kids, Luke and I, kids we grew up with, we weren't trusted with many things. They didn't like hand stuff over to us like, you want to take the car? Take the car. It wasn't like that. It was like, you want to take the car? Forget about it. You know, you're not taking the car. There's no way. And I understand why. Because when I wanted to borrow a tool from my dad so that I could go misuse it in some way, um, I would never put it back. Which, would meant, which meant he would go on some tirade about, it's not where the sockets go and the Crescent Ridge never belongs inside of a paint bucket. You know, which is still what my friends tell me today. But it's effective for stirring. So the... My dad would be on this, like, you know, just get upset about, no, like, it's not where the tools go. He'd be very, very picky. And I understand why he was so picky. We borrow the car. Can we borrow the car? Please, can we borrow the car? We're just going to go. I don't know what you guys did, but in Caney, we did this thing called shoot the U. Going to go shoot the U. Because um, we had one street, and the only way you could get back was to shoot a U, you know. So you go down to the end, you get to the fire hydrant, like, now what? You need to go to the granary, or you can shoot a you so you shoot to you and you come back and everybody would just kind of hang out can we please go shoot to you because that was really big time if you could go shoot to you so we go shoot to you but we would never put gas back in the car so the car is on empty we live seven miles outside of town it's got to be gas and they're like okay we couldn't be trusted could not be trusted these stories though they were different these stories came into our life free of charge. They just tell us these stories. Hand them over to us. All these biblical stories, just hand them over to us. Here you go. Hey, how about this story? How about this story? How about this story? I couldn't have the keys to a, to a rickety 71 Dodge Dart with a banged up quarter panel, but you can have this story. It doesn't really make any sense, really. 
And I know what you're thinking. Well, that really, well, you could really hurt yourself with a car, you know. You could be very irresponsible with tools. But like a story, what's a story going to do? What's a story going to do? What's a story, these stories, going to do? Well, let's just review our history for just a minute. These stories here have been parsed and dissected by people for thousands of years, and we have used them in so many different ways, and we have even weaponized them. You don't think these stories matter? Go to the Middle East today. There's a war going on, and it has everything to do with these stories. You don't think these stories make a difference? For years, preachers, theologians have gathered these stories and they have built these whole ideas of doctrine to the point to where we will parse it right down the middle and we will say, that's why Lutherans or Catholics or these people won't go to heaven and we get to. You mean to tell me these stories aren't dangerous? We use these as proof texts to damn people to hell. They're not dangerous. I can't have the crescent wrench, but my mom and dad are okay with me handling this? Really? That's pretty crazy. This causes wars. Crescent wrenches strip nuts most of the time. You know? That's it. It's not the same. We could have this. And see, for me, growing up, I grew up in a place to where these stories were common. Like, these were always referred to. We were told them to this all the time. Preachers, teachers, my mom, my dad. They just talked about these stories all the time. They were common. They were as common as every single constant that you remember in the summer of growing up, wherever it is that you grew up, like the 1956 Dodge, I mean, uh, Buick Super in my dad's garage. We played in it all the time, and I remember vividly my friend Russell, who took the keys out of the ignition, opened up the vent, and threw them down the heater vent. We're all going to die now. You know that, right? And Russell just put him down the vent. He's like, <laughs> pretty now I'm dead. Now I'm dead. We played in that car all the time from when I was little. All the time. It takes me back to when Luke and I played baseball. We played for this team, G&J Oil. So G&J Oil, we were a pretty grisly looking group. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me point us out here. Uh, Luke is in the back, fourth from the left. One, two, three, four. You can tell it's him, right? His hat stands up about three times taller than everybody else's. Right there, number four. That's his dad behind him with the tall hat. I'm, uh, I'm the guy in the cool uh, second from the bottom down here. Not the guy in the white t-shirt, the one right beside him. This is me. That's my dad, straight up at the top in the back. This was our baseball team. We were good. We weren't good. We weren't good. But every single, you know, um, summer night, it seemed we were always down there watching baseball, playing baseball. And we had to come up against this team, the Caney Valley Fire Department. And they had this grisly southpaw pitcher named Richie Moody who struck fear in your heart. 
because you just could not believe. And he threw way out here, this sidearm thing, and it's coming straight at you. The ball's coming in at this weird angle. It's, oh, it's going to kick me. It's going to hit me, you know? It was constant. These stories were like that for us. The normal thing. It was just how we lived. It's just, it's just what we were doing. These stories were just handed off to us. And what's crazy to me is that the very, one of the very first times that you see God give some command to the people on what they're supposed to do with these stories, it happens, I think it happens in Deuteronomy, but also happens in Joshua, chapters 3 and 4. Moses has just died, and Joshua is the leader of the people. And then they've got to take him into the promised land. And so they're standing on the opposite side of, of, uh, of the Jordan River, and they're headed into Jericho. It's like, okay, are we going in? We're going in. And Joshua's like, I will lead you into Jericho. We're going to go in. We're going to take Jericho. This is where we're going. Is that what God wants? That's what God wants. Okay, so how is this going to go? I said, okay, we're going to walk in. The priests go first. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's what's crazy. The only thing separating them from the promised land is the Jordan River. Now listen, the Jordan River is kind of like the Neosho, unless it's at flood stage. Then it's not. It's not like that at all. It's terrible. And these, this is the entire nation, not the army, the entire nation. Women, children, old people, like all of them. And they've got the Ark of the Covenant. And they've got to go through there. And so they get to the Jordan River and they say, so what do we do now? And Joshua says, God says that the priests need to come first and they need to take their feet and step into the Jordan River, even though it's at flood stage. And they're like, you realize if we wash away, if we wash God away down the river, like in the Ark of the Covenant, like this could be bad for us in the future. Step into it. They step into the water in the Jordan River stops flowing it backs up it all goes down and the water just backs up and walls up okay so everybody's kind of like okay that's weird you know and they start making their way in and they stop and they wait the whole nation passes through and you can imagine the people are absolutely shocked the jordan at flood stage and now it just stops running they pass all the way through. They get to the other side. And then Joshua takes one representative from each of the 12 tribes. And he says, I want each, I want one man from each of the 12 tribes to go back down into the bottom of the Jordan River and shoulder out a stone, a big stone. Bring it back up here. And I want you to pile them up right here. Okay, so they do. And they grab these big stones and they come up and they make a big pile, 12 big rocks. Then he tells the priest, you can come out of the water. So they or come out of the, the, the bottom of the river. So they come out of the bottom of the river and then the water goes and just picks back up and moves on. And he looks at him and he says, now take these stones and build a monument with these 12 stones. Now check how genius this is. This is so genius because someday little boys will come walking by and they'll say, hey, Dad, who put these big 12 stones right here? And when they ask, you tell them all the wonderful things that God has done. That is what you do. Okay, that's what we'll do. From the very beginning, God has known us, right? 
There's, there is no better way to get the attention of every kid in a classroom than to take a little jar that they can't see inside of and put a sign on it that says, do not open. Set it on a shelf. Why? Because all I can think about now is that we should really get that open. As quick as we should get that open. Like that's important to get that open. Curiosity is the thing that draws us in. And what God does is he piles up a big bunch, a bunch of rocks over here. He, does, he gives them no sign. There's no engraving. It's just these rocks sitting right there. And people come by and they go, where did these rocks come from? So glad you asked. Ta-da! This is about the time when the Jordan River stopped flowing at flood stage. Oh, bull crap. That's not true. That didn't happen. It happened. Let me tell you. I'll tell you all about it. Because I was there, you little twit. So good. That's what these are supposed to be. Asaph tells the people of Israel, we will not stop telling these stories about what our God has done. The reason this is important to us, the bow is important to us, is because the bow represents us projecting our message further than we're ever going to go. When you take your message of what God has done in your life and how he is constantly working through you and you pass it on to your children, your message is going to go places you will never go. It will impact your children in ways that it will grow and flourish. And when they go other places, that story goes further than you will ever go reach people you will never meet. In the early days, the bow and the arrow it's how we would find food. It's how we would get what we needed to get food. And you know what you didn't want? You didn't want to haul around a faulty bow and arrow. One that was too flimsy that couldn't pierce the hide of the animal that you're trying to get. You don't want that. You also didn't want some bow that you couldn't pull back because then you look like a weakling. You want something that is useful that you can actually use. If you have a faulty bow, that's a problem. And if you have a faulty bow, that's a problem. And if your stories aren't moving forward, and they're not piercing the hearts of the little ones around us, then you have a problem. This is our message. We will not stop telling our children about the wonderful deeds that God has done. Check this out. This is such a great passage. And Asaph is such a stud. And here's the reason why. Verse 4. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, verse 1. Let me go back. I will open my mouth, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old, verse 3. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. Parables, he says. I will talk to you in parables. That's the same for us. Here's what parables represents. Parables are these, uh, this is the proverb, the discourse, those, those cute little sayings that we hold on to, these little things that we formulate, little patterns that unfold in our house. Here's one that's new for me that I just have to, I've been processing lately. There's two types of obedience that men have to have. You have to be obedient to what God wants and you have to be obedient to the wiring he has given you. How are you wired? Like that's important to me. 
You, some of you are wired in a way that you physically go and produce things for other people. That's a great gift. You have to be true to what that is. If we were to take you and put you in an office all day long, you would go bananas. If you were also to take somebody who likes to function inside of an office space, read a lot of books and type a lot of stuff, and you expect me to go and be productive elsewhere, it's not going to happen. I'm out there with the paint with the paint stirrer and a crescent wrench trying to fix a transmission. Like, that's what happens in my world. You have to be obedient, obedient to, the, to the wiring that you have and to God's word. Those are the two areas that we have to be obedient. So quick little sayings like that, little things that we just pick up on and hold on to. These are the Proverbs. And Asaph says, I'm going to speak to you in Proverbs. This is also the word they use for war chants and war taunting songs. This is why we are good. This is why we are better. If you go watch any soccer ever, there's this funny little thing that happens. They come up with some really great songs. So the referees wear yellow, right, in soccer, if you don't know the referees wear yellow. So we are there at the soccer match at one point. A bad call is made, and all of a sudden the stands break out in song. The yellow team sucks. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and on. Hey. It's beautiful. And I'm like, no, that's not very, the yellow team, like I can't stop, I'm going to be involved in this. It's really beautiful. It's just so, hey, and they sing songs the entire time, taunting songs. And here's the beauty of it. The taunting songs are not just about how your team's not good. It's how our team is better than your team. And so these taunting songs, Asaph says, we will not stop teaching our children, guess what? When everybody else comes against us and God is for us and we are aware of this, we are not alone. We win. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. We win. These are the Proverbs. Then he says this, and this, one, this is where it takes a little different turn. I will tell you the hidden things, or check this out, the dark things. Now, I don't know about you, but I could have afforded a little bit more information in the dark corners of the world. Some of you are like, don't, don't, it, I had it, it's not, it's not. I could have afforded a little bit more teaching into some of the background of where do I come from? Where do my family come from? What did they, what kind of things did they go through? a guidebook, some sort of information on this is how the world works. Some of that would have been really good. I could have appreciated a lot more of that. What this is talking about is this. Take your stuff, your baggage, your trouble spots, your proclivities and your weaknesses. You take those and lay them out in front of your children as well. These are the hidden things. And I know, I know, I can, see it on, I can see it on some of your faces. Like, yeah, I'm not telling my kids anything. Mm -mm. I'm not telling them about me. Here's the thing. The beauty of talking to your kids about where you've messed up is that you get to map something out. But won't I be a hypocrite? Um, no. You're only a hypocrite if you don't tell them. Because now you're trying to put on like you still don't have trouble, and that's a problem. Now you're trying to put on like you were perfect once and you weren't. And that's a problem. We have to sit down and talk to them. Now listen, age appropriate, of course, right? I don't need to say that, right? But we share with our kids and, our, and, and, and those around us, this is the trouble spots in life that I've had. 
And when we do that, we bring them into the inner circle and they get to know things that are brilliant. Here's the deal for Kate and I. We wanted our kids, to, we wanted to be the one to hand them some of the vital information first. I didn't want them to learn it at school. I didn't want them to come back and be like, well, guess what I learned today? Like, uh, like this is good, you know, and not accurate. I don't want that. And so we made it a point to have some of these conversations. Were they awkward? Yes, they were so freaking awkward. So awkward. With valuable? So valuable. Did it build trust? It built so much trust. In fact, let me give you a quick one. One of my daughters said this. I won't tell you which one. That way that you won't say anything to them about it. Here's what they said. We had a very awkward conversation. And one of them looks at me and says, Wow, you are so much better than Google. <laughs> I think I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. I'm not all right with the fact that you were trying to find this out on Google, but I'm all right with that I'm better than Google. And it's shooting for these things. Let's talk about those things with the people who are around us. Here's what else is great, is that there wasn't a whole lot of differentiation between kids that are ours and kids that are in our community. For this group, for the Hebrews, listen, you can spank my kid and I'm going to spank yours because the rules are the rules are the rules. That's how this works. And so for the Hebrews, that's how they operated. This kid is breaking the rule. We don't go find his mommy and say, I know you guys don't like to spank you, enjoy time out more. No, you freaking get him. That's what you do. You just get him. Why? Because it's important. If he breaks the law of God, we are in trouble. We need to get him. So when I talk about talking about these things, it's not just your kids. It's to the little ones that are in our community, the little ones that are around. When we stop a little one and we say, hi, how are you? Good. I like your dress. It's very pretty. Thank you. Did you go to Sunday school this morning? I did go to Sunday school this morning. Did you learn anything? Yes, I learned that this and this and this. No, I didn't learn anything. Well, did you know that Jesus loves you? Yeah, I know that. We sang that song. Okay, super. And off they go. Even if that's as far as our interaction goes with some of the other ones, that's our responsibility. And then he tells this, and all the things that our fathers have told us. And check this out. Or the things our fathers haven't told us. We live in a world to where, uh, for a lot of us, mom and dad dropped the ball. We didn't get the information we needed. We didn't get it. And so we have to learn how to say, I need to take this information and move it forward. And I don't know how to do it. And it's going to be awkward. And I'm going to rely on God. And I'm going to put it out there. Because this is just... This is just hard. And Asaph is telling us, this is what our responsibility and our role is. And I love what he talks about here. Just a couple of things. Number one, he says, the praiseworthy things. We will tell about the praiseworthy things. This is the praiseworthy things of what has God done in your life? When has he came through? When has he shown you something, told you something, comforted you we will talk about the praiseworthy things of our God this is a while back we had a conversation with our kids and we were talking about and I don't mean this to, I don't mean this in a bragging way I mean in a very stumbling through the dark trying to figure it out type of way we sit down and we said okay we got some stuff coming up 
and it's going to be, this is going to be kind of a difficult time. So I want you to be on the lookout for the word how. H-O-W, how. How is God going to fix this? How is he going to do this? And you need to be very, you have to have a very keen eye because when God does something, it's not oftentimes just like explosions and fireworks. He's very subtle, very, very subtle. It can almost look like a coincidence if you're not careful. It's very subtle. So you need to have a very sharp eye. And it was so cool because for the next couple of weeks, my girls would come rushing in. You're not going to believe this. You are not, I think, I think I see how God is doing this like is that right tell me about it and they would rattle on with some how that they picked out of their head and that they saw and they were trying to piece them together you mean to tell me that's not valuable so cool so so cool and me and my wife just stood back and like oh my gosh our children are leading us our children are making us better christians this is so cool they're seeing things we would never see see one of the beauties of 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 investing in children is that they don't have that high super self-awareness like what we have to where I'm so, so concerned with where everybody else is thinking and doing and what social media is doing and all my friends, my 685,000 friends that I'll never see. And I worry about what these people are doing and they don't have that. So when they go to connect with God, they're so less self-aware and self-conscious about what's going on. They're not thinking to themselves like, well, I don't want to pray out loud and sound like a weirdo. They don't. They're like, God is great. God is good. Mm food and uh, pray for the dogs. Amen. And they just move on. But not us. Like some of us still can't do it. Some of us still cannot pray out loud. Your kids can, but you can't. They have, they have a thing that just says, you know what? I'm okay with it. We have to invest in them. That is solid. That's good. Praiseworthy things. The next one, his power. This word is the Hebrew word izaz, and it's fierceness, like a lion. Let's talk about how fierce he is. Now, in our culture, let me say this. I love the fact that we're going to talk about how fierce God is, which is also why when you look up here, you don't see things that are very soft emblems. Our culture is very, very soft. It's getting softer all the time. That's not a thing that we're trying to do. We're not trying to say, hey, let's just rough it up. But we're trying to say, look, this is the reality, that's the reality, that's the reality. This is the way we want to operate. And so when we talk about the fierceness of God, one of the most disappointing things in the world, I saw a picture of Jesus the other day that somebody had drawn and he was riding a dinosaur. And it was kind of just an odd picture. And so I saved it on my phone. And it was just this like, he's riding on like a Baranosaurus and I think he's holding like an iguana or something. It was just a real strange picture and I was like, it's so bizarre. And then you see the other ones of Jesus with him and his senior pictures, right? With his long hair and the, the good background, you know? He's got his hands on the... He's got... Like that, right? It's so, it's so soft. This is the fierceness of God. The fierceness. Talk about those times when he comes and he shows up. Take the book of Job, for instance. When Job is like, you know what? I'm tired of not being answered. And all of a sudden, God tears the sky open. He comes flying in face to face with Job, hovering in this just, this uh, cloud of electricity right in front of him, piercing through him. And he goes, did you have a question for me? 
Uh, I was just, just wondering why everything kind of fell apart and that things aren't, aren't going so good for me. You want to ask me questions? Have you ever pet the Leviathan? Just like, what? Can you put a hook in its nose and lead it around like a pet? No? Well, I can. Tell me more about what you know, Job, and all the injustice in the world. Were you here at the foundations of the earth before it was the earth? Because I was. And he goes to one of my favorite passages when he stops and he says, what do you even know about ostriches? Job's like, ostriches? He's like, yeah, what do you know about them? I don't know. You could ride them. I don't know. What? He said, they're terrible mothers. They just lay their eggs in the sand. Somebody could come along, mash them. They could step on them themselves. But I promise you, they laugh at the horse and rider because they are so incredibly fast. That's what I know about the ostrich, Job. And Job's mind is just blown away. And God is just talking about the fierceness of what do you know? You know nothing. That's the God. We will talk about that part of God too. The other one is in the wonders he has done. Think about in your own life, the moments when God has shown up when you knew it was God showing up. Do you have those moments? Do you have those moments? Like you, there was no hope and then he showed up and then there was hope and it was like, oh, okay, wow. And that whole thing about God like, oh, God is, God is never late, but he's seldom early, right? I love it. And he just shows up and he takes care of a situation and he brings you and somebody else together and you're like, I didn't think this was ever going to happen. Or he saves you or he protects your kids. Something beautiful. I will talk about those things until I'm blue in the face and until you're tired of hearing them. I will tell the decade-old story of my youngest daughter in the NICU until you can't stand to hear it anymore. Why? Because that's when God showed up. And I don't care if you like it or don't like it. That's when he showed up. And I learned a lot about me and I learned a lot about him and we're going to keep telling those stories. This message is for us. Here's the other part, last line. We will not... We will not forget to tell these stories. Look at verse 4. We will not, the, ver, the word is hide. We will not hide these stories from our kids. Do you know what that word translates to? Annihilate. We will not annihilate our kids by keeping these stories to ourselves. Because if you don't hand these stories over to your kids, then you do annihilate your kids. You do annihilate them. You don't offer them hope. You don't offer them a place to go in peace. You don't offer them any sort of instruction or guidance. You annihilate them. You don't give them the stories of God. You give them just this other stuff. You give them this constant chasing of, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you got to think about student loans and you got to make sure you get a job and you got to score high on your ACT. But what are you going to do with your soul? Because we will annihilate them if we don't tell these stories. 
And Asaph tells the group in front of him that are meeting in the tabernacle, we will not, do not, let's, let's, let's come together on this deal and make an oath together that we will not annihilate any of our kids. We will not annihilate them by, not keep, by keeping these stories from them. We will not do that. Our kids are worth more than that. They are where all of this is going. That's our responsibility. And that's where Asaph brings us. Our responsibility is to keep our kids in that place of learning all the time and handing them this stuff. The beauty of it is this, is that God is that kind of God who not one time thought to himself, we should hand off all these stories to children. Like, what if they got the story wrong? I don't care. Well, what if they mess it up when they're telling it? I don't care. What if they actually go and believe it? That would be cool. What if they read these stories of the heroes and then they just go believe it? That could be pretty cool. And God is so reckless. God is so reckless with handing these stories out. Why would he do it? Because he knows these are the only thing in the world that change people. This right here. It's the only thing that changes people. 